0: Now reading from the gospel according to John, one I'm just guessing you might recognize. John chapter 6, beginning verse 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea, that is, the Tiberias Sea. A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there. With his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, Where will we buy food to feed these people? Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, More than a half year's salary worth of food, it wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king, so he took refuge again alone on a mountain. And when evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake. And they got into a boat, and they were crossing the lake to Capernaum. It was already getting dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them yet. The water was getting rough because a wind, a strong wind, was blowing. And when the wind had driven them out for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water. He was approaching the boat, and they were afraid. He said to them, I am. Don't be afraid. And and then they wanted to take him into the boat, and just then the boat reached the land where they had been heading. Here ends the reading. May God grant us holy imagination and courage for interpretation. The Apostle Andrew provides us with a staunchly, shall we say, pessimistic comment in our story today. His comment comes in response to a sort of pop quiz word problem given by Jesus, his teacher. Uh, Looking out over a large crowd that has been following him, Jesus looks to Philip, his disciple, and says, there are 5,000 people following us around. They are hungry. They have no food with them. Where are we to buy bread in order that they eat? Philip then begins feverishly scribbling some figures. Can't you just see it? Figuring it all out while the others just cast their eyes away, hoping Jesus doesn't call on them. That would have been me, I think. Finally, Philip runs his hand through his hair and declares as he throws his pencil to the ground, six months' wages wouldn't give us enough money to give people even a couple bites. Andrew tries a different solution. He doesn't consult the map to find the nearest grocery store or pull out the checkbook to see the current balance. He's looking around, and it's a stupid idea, but the silence of the ashamed disciples feels even worse, probably. So he motions over to the boy he's seen in the crowd, the one carrying some fish and some loaves of bread. Hmm. He points him out to Jesus, but he realizes how ridiculous this sounds, even as the words probably escape his lips. And trying to save himself from ridicule, the other disciples, he, he says sarcastically, but what are they among so many people? Certainty of death, small chance of success, but what are we waiting for? You heard the rest of the story. Jesus takes the loaves, gives thanks, distributes. He repeats with the fish, and everyone has all they could stand at that golden corral. Andrew pointed out a possibility. He felt stupid even in offering it. He couldn't see what good this little lunch could possibly provide a massive crowd. He was sure he'd failed the exam, but just didn't want to leave the question blank. And it turns out, That's actually all Jesus needed. Jesus didn't need the perfect mathematical formula. He didn't need the GPS coordinates of the nearest market. He didn't need the most talent, the top chef, the best event coordinator. He just needed somebody, in this case, a disciple to point out a possibility even with a pessimistic tone. And that was enough. Now, don't get caught up, okay, in the physics of this story. Uh, Many people that are trapped in an Enlightenment-era view of these kinds of biblical stories dismiss them because their modern minds know that food doesn't just appear out of thin air in the world in which we live. And so we make the assumption that this story was told as a historical event. And so we become trapped in this either literal, all-or-nothing view of understanding these stories which are so rich and filled with very relevant meaning even for modern people with the most skeptical of minds. I think the more helpful question is not did this actually happen the way it said it happened, but rather how does this story still happen today? What does it look like? So keep that in mind. From that broader more universal approach a wide-angle lens with realistic expectations. Think about it. Jesus was just looking for somebody to give something a shot. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel that that is actually pretty rare in the world around me and the world in which we live. There's pressure to buck up and fake it till you make it. There's pressure to appear to be positive. You're looked down on for any kind of, negativity that you might just vent in a moment of flippancy or in a moment of exhaustion or honesty. There's pressure to advocate for all the right stuff and the right stances and to call everyone out on social media that have the wrong stuff and the wrong stances. I feel pretty pessimistic myself, if you want to be honest, watching billionaires like Jeff Bezos and the other billionaires spending their excessive fortunes on a space race to go out and see the moon or whatever with all their rocket ships while there are families at the local schools who cannot afford to buy school supplies for their children this coming school year i feel pretty pessimistic myself when i allow myself to think about it when i see the united states of america is one of the wealthiest nations in all of the earth compared to all of the others And yet we are the only first world nation basically left on the planet who does not make certain that every citizen is provided with universal health care as part of their existence. I feel pretty pessimistic when the numbers of new COVID infections in Oklahoma are rising at an alarming rate. When our hospitals are once again well on their way to being overwhelmed with COVID patients, when our respirators are in short supply, and 97 to 99% of the people who are in the hospitals with COVID could have had the vaccine but chose not to because most of them chose to believe all manner of different kinds of conspiracy theories instead of getting a simple shot or two and avoiding all of this suffering and death for God knows what real reason. Then you can add in all the personal pressures that go beyond that, that each of us feel and know about all too well in our own lives. Expectations for career advancement, for portfolio growth, parental accolades that come through our children's accomplishments. You know what I'm talking about. You don't just need to get through the tasks of the day, but you've got to do it with gratitude and a smile on your face and joy and inner peace and all the rest. And if you are failing to experience all of those virtues, then all you have to do is subscribe to this Instagram influencer or buy this self help book on Amazon to help you achieve your best life now. There's no space for the person who says, oh, well, this will probably be a mess. I'm a mess. I'm not happy. That's heresy in our can-do, self-help world. There's no room for the glass-might-be-half-empty person in our world, even when that's an honest expression of how we might really feel at any given moment. But it wasn't that way with Jesus. Jesus accepted even the cranky disciple who was willing to voice the most ridiculous of possibilities. I remember the Sunday Try not to get choked up. I remember the Sunday that Bob stood up at one of my congregations to give a very short speech that at that congregation we called Minute for Mission about tutoring at a local after-school program. Until I saw Bob's name in the bulletin, I had no idea he did that, and I was his pastor and saw him multiple times a week. Bob was 70-something years old, and he was retired, and as far as I knew, he had no background in education, and here he goes at the front of the church sanctuary about how he had signed up to tutor and met with two little boys each week. They would read to him, and he would read to them. They'd review flashcards together, and then lo and behold, (laughs) it happened. Bob started crying at the pulpit in the middle of the worship service, and I didn't even know Bob had tear ducks. He talked about how the boys had nicknamed him. I didn't dare ask what that nickname was. Bob was a little intimidating, to say the least, at least to me. He talked about how they hugged him when he arrived. He said, I, I don't know if I've made any difference in their lives, but boy, they've sure changed mine. That's what he said. And there it was. A a grumpy old man. Retired. No early childhood education degree or experience. Crying in front of the church about what could happen with giving some time and attention and care to these at-risk elementary school students. And after that... We had a record number of volunteers from our church for that program. I guess everyone figured I was kind of thinking that if grumpy old Bob could have his heart touched like that, the rest of us could probably experience equally miraculous results just by sharing the time and energy we had with others. And Jesus took the loaves, John tells us. Might as well say... And Jesus took the two hours from Bob's week and his heart and his attention, and they were all fed as much as they wanted. Or there was Bill at another church I once served. He was going blind from macular degeneration. He couldn't see the Bible or the hymnal or the bulletin, but he was in worship every single week. I was visiting with him one time and his wife. And I asked about the struggle of losing his sight. He said, I, I, "I know." I said, "I know that it must make it difficult for you in worship." It does, he replied. Not to be able to say the words with everyone else, but I can still sing. Even if I don't know all the verses, I just open my mouth and I sing the tune. Nobody would want a blind man who can't read the words in the Oklahoma City Philharmonic's concert with the corral, He wouldn't be able to pull his weight. He'd drag down the whole baritone section, but Jesus took the loaves, John tells us, and Jesus took the wordless song, and they were all better for it. They were all fed as much as they wanted. We were fed at that church by Bill's choice to add a richness to the sound that could never have been noticed or valued very many other places in this world. I got to sharing these stories with a couple of minister friends of mine as I prepared for the sermon today, and I found out that every Sunday at one of their congregations, a sister church of ours, for as long as anyone can remember, Miss Jones pulls up to the front door of the church every Sunday morning and has to get the teenage boys just inside the door to come out and help her pull out two giant vases of flowers from her back seat. They're filled with the flowers from her garden, and from spring until the first frost her garden to alter flowers sit every week in the sanctuary. She has a really big backyard, but she has no flower beds, you see. They're wildflowers. They don't take much skill, you could say, much tending. They just kind of grow back every year. She's no master gardener. She's never been in a magazine. She's never made a living as a florist. And quite honestly, my minister friend said sometimes they look a little rough, and some of the people with other skills, they just kind of fluff them up, but they never doubt their beauty. She's sorry, she says, if they don't look right when she's taught them in. I'm sure some horticulture expert might call them glorified weeds, if we're being honest. Apparently, you can find them almost any place growing wild in Oklahoma. There's nothing particularly special about these bouquets, but she offers them freely, and she offers them faithfully, and it keeps these teenagers involved each week looking for Miss Jones. And Jesus took the loaves. And Jesus takes the flowers, even the weeds, grown in love and committed each Sunday for worship, and strangely enough, everyone is truly fed. What about us and our little church family? We think we're pretty remarkable because, I mean, we love each other, but to folks not looking through love-colored lenses, we probably look like quite a collage of weirdness and different personalities? Multiple generations of folks, different ages, from different walks of life, different educational and religious backgrounds. What kind of church doesn't have a creed or statement of beliefs we make folks sign off on before they can be a part? We don't have tons of programs compared to lots of congregations. What kind of church, and especially in western Oklahoma, throws a pride Sunday at the end of every June? And what kind of church Names doubts out loud and doesn't have an easy answer for them, and even grumbles when the pastor reads the Bible because it seems to disagree with itself. And it just says this stuff out loud. What kind of church meets online for 15 solid months with nearly every other congregation in Oklahoma meeting for months and months? Some never stopped. And what kind of weird church asks its members to wear masks just because the young children stand a slim chance of catching COVID when we share the airspace indoors with one another and occasionally some visitors? What kind of church? A church with a deep and profound commitment to loving every single one of our neighbors. That's who. And Jesus took the load. And Jesus took this odd, you know, unique, I prefer to say, little church, even with unpopular regional moral theological convictions, and everyone was fed deeply to the brim. My friends, so long as we are authentic, true to who we really are, And we take what we have and who we are and we offer it to God, and for the sake of the greater good, there is always enough whatever to go around. In fact, there's always enough to a rather miraculous degree. I don't always do this at the end of a sermon, but would you pray with me? Holy God. Receive what we have to offer. Receive it even when we give it and we are still unsure that it will do any good. For we have seen that when you take an offering, even given by a pessimist, you can multiply it to satisfy the hungers of aching souls. We praise you for that gift. And we give ourselves to you and to that mission this day and every day moving forward, one day at a time. Amen.